0: Join with me in prayer as we begin. Dear Father, we thank you for this time that you have given us, the opportunity to gather to study your word. We pray that you would teach us, that you would instruct us in your ways, and the, the ordinances you have appointed for your church, for the, the doctrine of your word, that we would understand it and use it uh, to your glory, to our growth and grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the Westminster Confession of Faith, a summary of biblical doctrine um, that comes from, what, 350 years ago and has continued to stand the test of time as a good summary of, of biblical doctrine. And It's found in the back of our hymnals. If you're following along, it'll be on page 866 where we are today. In chapter 30, uh, we are nearing the end. Uh, There are just this and three more chapters left in the Confession of Faith. And so today we come to a shorter chapter compared to the ones on the sacraments we just looked at uh, of church censures, chapter 30 of church censures. Um I guess first of all does everyone know what censure is? With 100? Well, I can see where you're coming from, but no it's it's not related. it's not like a century. Okay. Censure. What is it to censure someone? Why is Is it like a count of something? A count of something? Amonish or discipline, to disapprove. Yes, it's talking about church discipline. It's talking about church discipline. So this is um, about the, the government of the church and, and particularly uh, the, the discipline of the church, uh, that being the idea of a, a censure. And censure's plural. There's different kinds of censures that we're going to look at. Yes? Is a censure maybe a guardian or something? That no, it's, it's, yeah, it's not really related to that either. But we will see that it is related to, to officers that will be doing this. Yes. I'm thinking of centurion. Centurion, right, right. All right, so chapter 30. I'll go ahead and begin by reading the first article here, and we'll take off from that point. The Lord Jesus as head, sorry, let me start over. The Lord Jesus as king and head of his church hath therein appointed a government in the hand of church officers distinct from the civil magistrate. All right, pretty simple statement, one sentence long, but also one that has proved controversial over the centuries, uh, one that has been debated at times and especially during the time uh, that this Confession of Faith was put together it was during the time of the English Civil War and the Parliament had called the Assembly to reform the church at the time, but the Parliament also kind of was not wanting to uh, give to let the church have all of the power over church government. That's, things were pretty chaotic at the time and they wanted to reserve the right to excommunication, for example, to the civil powers, to the parliament, or, or people appointed by parliament, rather than entrusting the church with that power. Um, and there was an idea at the time called Erastianism, which even saw the church as basically a branch of the state, um, kind of part of its order. And so the idea of a distinct government that Christ has appointed Um, distinct from the civil magistrate was uh, a major point to be made. And the other Protestant reformers had to make this when they were breaking away from Rome, but a lot of the people who had seen the abuses of the church of Rome thought, oh, maybe we shouldn't let the church do these things, see the mess the church made of it. Let's just have the civil magistrate handle these things. Um, But of course, that wasn't The way Christ had appointed it, first of all, biggest important point, um, but also could be prone to some of the same issues. And so uh, what Calvin in Geneva had to to wrestle for the right of the church to discipline itself, uh, to have its own control over the Lord's Supper, for example, Um, he, he won that battle in Geneva. Uh, Martin Bootser tried real hard in Germany, in Strasbourg, and he, he kind of lost the battle, um, wasn't able to get all that he hoped for, uh, but he he wrote about it a lot. Well, here in England, um, I brought one book kind of for show and tell. This is uh, Aaron Rod's Blossoming, which was written by George Gillespie, one of the commissioners to the General Assembly. You know, as if doing all the debates and writing wasn't enough, he decided to publish a book during the Assembly. Uh, against Erastianism and vindicating church government as its own distinct thing. And what's interesting about it, it's in three parts. And the first part is of Jewish church government. In other words, church government in the Old Testament. And goes about the synagogue and the elders and engaging with arguments. And then the second part's on Christian church government. And the last part's on of excommunication from the church and of suspension from the Lord's table. Uh, but if you want to take a look at this afterwards, you know, feel free to take a look. But this was a live issue, and maybe the state's not so much trying to, you know, get control over excommunication today, but it's not like church-state issues have gone away with. that's uh, still an important point that the Lord Jesus, first of all, is the king and head of his church. Uh, that's this is a distinct institution. It's a, a visible expression of his kingdom. Um, it's distinct from the political kingdoms, of which there are many that are more rooted in creation and, of course, ought to bow the knee to Christ. Uh, but this is a, a, a distinct institution, and he is the king, the king of Israel. We are like, like the, the nation of Israel now. Uh, as a spiritual institution. He is our king, our head, our savior. And as our king, he has appointed a government. Kings do that, right? To rule their people. And he has appointed a government in his church uh, to visibly rule his church in the hands, and he's committed that government to the hand of church officers, not civil officers, you know, to church officers, And this church government is distinct from the civil magistrate. Our larger catechism puts it this way. Christ executed the office of a king in calling out of the world a people to himself and giving them officers, laws, and censures by which he visibly governs them. And it goes on to say other ways that he exercised kingship too. But that's um, part of how he does that, is by this visible administration of of government. Um, a few texts that we could look at. Uh, I think I, I preached on Ephesians 4 not too long ago where Christ ascended, received gifts, and he gave the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to his church. You know, so these are things that Christ has given to his church. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 12, Paul says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And so there are those who labor and are over you in the Lord. um, And what's one thing they do? They admonish you. So church censures is part of this role. It's more than that. Uh, but they have this, this rule, and uh, they, they labor among you. Um, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So we have here a description of these officers as elders, and there's elders who rule Elders who rule well, and uh, there's also elders in particular who labor in uh, in preaching and teaching or word and doctrine. So not all elders labor in preaching and teaching, uh, but all elders uh, will rule and join together in that oversight of the congregation. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, we could go on to other passages. Maybe I'll just go to one more. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight, mostly because it's more unusual. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Well, you won't find all of those things in our church today because some of these things have ceased being more fit for the particular circumstances of the first century. But we do find still teachers in the church and helps, as as in deacons, and administrating or ruling, as sometimes it's translated, as with ruling elders. So these are things that God has appointed in his church, in his church, that there's a distinct church government that has jurisdiction uh, in the church. Um, Any questions on this first article? All right, well, let's go to the second one, which goes into a little more detail. To these officers, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are committed. By virtue whereof, they have power, respectively, to retain and remit sins, to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, both by the word and censures, and to open it unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel and by absolution from censures, as occasion shall require. So we might say that that the civil government has the sword as kind of a symbol of its authority. Paul speaks of how the the civil government has the sword. We might say that that family government, that parents have the rod. Um, But what would be the symbol of the authority of of church government? Uh, It would be the keys, the keys of the kingdom. Are the keys of the kingdom given to the civil government? No. I see some nodding, some some heads shaking back there. That's right. Are they given to family government? No. Are they given to church government? Yeah. Yes. Yes. They're given to. And where does the term where does the term keys of the kingdom come from? Does anyone know? Yes. The New, the New Testament. Good. All right. We narrowed it down. Anyone want to narrow it down a little further? That's correct. Is it Matthew 18. Matthew I believe so. So there's similar language in 16 and 18 that are both referring to the, the substance of what they refer to, uh, but the phrase itself, I think, is in 18. No, I think I'm incorrect. 16. But we'll see how 18 is connected. So in 16, uh, it's in referring, you know, to to Peter, who is speaking for the apostles, professing Christ. And Jesus says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Um, and so you see how the keys of the kingdom of heaven are connected to binding and loosing, and that same language of binding and loosing is found in chapter 18 in terms of church discipline, about gaining your brother who sinned, and if he doesn't listen to you privately, bringing it to the church. You know, so we're talking about church government now, the elders of the church, and if they don't listen to their admonition, you know, for them to be as to you like a Gentile and a tax collector. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So here's not just talking to Peter anymore. Again, it's talking to the apostles. Um, This is not referring to something that the Pope has, but it's referring to the apostles, and then as they also ordained Regular leaders to continue in the church after them, uh, this exercise of church leadership uh, would continue among the eldership, <clears throat> eldership of the church so the the keys of the kingdom of heaven are not physical keys obviously uh, its keys were often symbol of of authority, and uh, here. The function is that of opening and closing, of binding and loosing. And these keys are exercised in the ministry of the word and in the exercise of church discipline. If you want to think of it as like those are two keys, that's probably not what Jesus was thinking when he was referring to keys in the plural. But that's one way to just think of it easily. You have the key of of the ministry of the word and the key of church discipline. Um, Or you just think of the keys being exercised in both those ways. But as the confession says, by virtue of these keys, officers have the power to retain and remit sins. Wow, that sounds almost Roman Catholic, right? Well, I mean, Jesus says you have power to forgive sins in John 20, so we have to do something with that. It's not on the basis of my authority, you know, personally, um, or, or upon a whim or something like that, but rather through the ministry of the word that all those who believe in jesus christ you know shall be forgiven we're ministers of reconciliation we are proclaiming the forgiveness of sins Um, and and also if if you do not repent if you do not believe in christ you are under the wrath of god you know that there's this ministry of the word that is that is to be proclaimed and then there's also the exercise of church discipline um, which is an exercise of this so to shut that kingdom against the impenitent, both by the word and censures. So by the, the general proclamation of the word and also specifically by church censures, uh, by discipline. And to open that kingdom unto penitent sinners by the ministry of the gospel and by absolution from censures. So absolution from censures would be like you're under church discipline, you've repented, you've, you, you're, you're turned back, and then that is lifted that you're no longer under that censure, and uh, that in that sense the kingdom is, is opened again. Um, we look at Matthew 16 and 18. Um, in Second Corinthians, we have an example of the absolution from church censures. If I can find it. 2 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. Or maybe I'll start in verse 5. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so that you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So he speaks not only of of, uh, church discipline, but also of um, absolution from that church censure. Now the next article is talking about the purposes or the ends of church discipline. I'll go ahead and read that Church censures are necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren, for deterring of others from the like offenses, for purging out of that leaven which might infect the whole lump, for vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel. For preventing the wrath of God which might justly fall upon the church if they should suffer his covenant and the seals thereof to be profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders. So why are church censures necessary? Um, they're not fun. They're not something that are easy to get excited about. They're uh, usually co- in, in the midst of, of controversy and um, wouldn't it be easier if just everyone went along and didn't make such trouble? Um, well, usually they're exercised because troubles already come. And uh, there are many good reasons, many important reasons why they are necessary. <clears throat> they're necessary for the reclaiming and gaining of offending brethren. That's the, the point of the Matthew 18, that the the hope is to gain your brother, whether it's individually or with you know, two or three other, one or two or three people, or the church admonishing them, or even in the exercise of excommunication, that they would uh, listen to their fault being shown unto them and be convicted by it and to repent. Um, it is the the point in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, that uh, e- even with so that's a very important passage. General, I'll probably refer to it more than once here, where <clears throat> Paul is speaking of one who had committed great sexual immorality, kind not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man had his father's wife. Um, he tells them to to excommunicate him, to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord that even at that point, he's uh, hoping for the salvation of this person, that this uh, discipline would be good for the person that's being exercised upon, that he would not uh, continue in this path of immorality, because as he goes on to say, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you. There's hope for those who repent and turn from these things. Um, But for those who are going astray, they need to be called back and, and regained. It's also for the deterring of others from the like offenses. If these things do not go uncorrected, and especially if they are public things that become notorious, that um, people know, well, so and so is doing this. Apparently, it seems like a lot of people in the congregation, there was the report going around, people knew that this was happening. If no one thought it was a big deal, then others would begin to imitate it. Uh, But it's also for deterring of others from the like offense. Also for, similarly, for purging out of that leaven, which might infect the whole lump. Again, in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you might be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. So that leavened, kind of that sourdough starter, that piece that would begin to spread and, and ri- make the whole dough to rise that um, it, it's little, but it begins to infect the whole thing, affect the whole thing. Well, similarly, this immorality, if it was tolerated and left alone, would continue to spread and to impact the whole church. And so it should be uh, dealt with. It's also for the vindicating the honor of Christ and the holy profession of the gospel. You know, we are Christ's people, we bear his name, his reputation, we are proclaiming a word we want people to listen to, we're ought to be light to the world, and uh, we ought to be a holy people, because a holy God dwells among us. And so, as Paul ends the chapter, we ought to purge the evil person from among you, which was God's words to ancient Israel, but that's still true about the church today. Um, again, for their good, and again that 's not the first thing you jump to in civil government and uh, church discipline we 'll find that in a second um, but there 's also the honor of Christ involved, and how our witness as a church reflects upon him and for preventing the wrath of God um, from from falling upon the church, if they continue to suffer as covenant and its the seals thereof uh, to be uh, profaned by notorious and obstinate offenders. Now, it doesn't mean that if someone is sinning and taking communion that you shouldn't take communion with them. In other words, you would never be taking communion uh, by the, the fear that someone else you know, might be sinning uh, or maybe even taking the sacrament unworthily. Um, rather, you should examine oneself as one comes to the Lord's table. But, one, the church ought to still guard the holy things and remember the example of the church at Corinth that was partaking of the supper unworthily and some were sick, some were even dying uh, because of God's chastisement upon the church uh, because they were each one going ahead on their own with the supper, not treating it as a holy thing and not treating each other as the body of Christ. Uh, So we ought to protect the holy things and again it's particularly notorious and obstinate offenders that are in view here last paragraph but any questions before i get to the last paragraph all right last paragraph here for the better attaining of these ends the officers of the church are to proceed by admonition, suspension from the sacrament of the Lord's Supper for a season, and by excommunication from the church, according to the nature of the crime and demerit of the person. So, it's not a zero to 100, everything is treated equally. In fact, this is one area where the doctrine that all sins are equal can really lead people astray. Um, Because then how do you treat them with church discipline? Um, You start to treat like a little minor infraction, the same as some horrible act of of depravity, um, if you don't also believe that some sins in the sight of God, both in themselves and by reason of several aggravations, could be worse uh, than others, even though they're all bad. All sin is is bad and is sufficient to condemn us uh, to hell. Uh, But the sins can vary according to the nature of the crime and the demerit of the person crime not here being used in a civil government sense but we're talking about church government in this sense a sin uh, that is you know outward uh, that is uh, knowable by other people that you know we're not policing your mind i don't know what you're thinking but something that has been done that can be established and uh, is, is sinful according to God's word. Um, and the demerit of the person, how culpable are they? Uh, what, what have they done? How, how guilty are they uh, for this crime? It takes wisdom in determining these things. <clears throat> and also this is a, kind of an abbreviated statement Partially because the Confession of Faith uh, was always accompanied by a form of church government. Uh, we have, of course, our Book of Church Order that lays out more detailed provisions for how would church discipline be executed. Uh, you know, what, how do you bring charges? Uh, how would you establish the facts of the case? And uh, how would then the session move uh, to, um, to admonish, to rebuke, uh, or to suspend from the supper for a time or excommunication, usually moving from the lower censures to the higher ones if the person continues to, uh, to not repent. Um, but the basic principles are here stated um, in the confession of faith. Um, any questions on, on these kinds of censures? Well, I mentioned that there's different kinds of censures at the beginning. It's, it's plural. Well, here's three of them. Admonition, so that would be more of a verbal rebuke. In our book of church order, we even divided up admonition and rebuke, kind of two levels of, of verbal rebuke. But in any case, it's this authoritative telling you that this is wrong and you need to listen to the church and turn from this. Uh, you really did do something wrong and you need to turn from it. Um, suspension from the supper would be where we say, you know, for now, you're not kicked out of the church yet, but, but do not take the Lord's supper. You're being suspended from partaking for a time uh, until uh, you demonstrate repentance over this matter. And excommunication from the church would be that and more, where you're no longer a member of the church, and obviously also can't take the lord's Supper, um, and is similar in some ways to the Old Testament of being cast out of the synagogue uh, that that they had a form of excommunication as well. So any questions? Yes. Sure, yes, yes. Um just have two things. One is, session and exercising just a like this should not be doing it with mm-hmm. um, But also, it seems to me that it's important that the session presented with the Gospel of Christ. There's always hope for okay. Right. That is a good point to make. That it's... In, in any admonition or rebuke, it's it's an admonition to repentance in view of the mercy of God in Christ. Uh, that 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 is being offered as well. That it's not simply a condemnation. Yes. 1 Corinthians 5, yeah. Yeah, he mentions that. Which um, is kind of the, the idea that there's, there's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness, there's the kingdom of his beloved son, and if the visible church is that visible expression of the kingdom, if these are the keys of the kingdom that are being exercised, you know, that you're being delivered over, as, if, if you will, back to the kingdom of darkness. Um, but, of course, with the hope that that, um, that one will repent and, and be brought back uh, but he does use that language Yeah, I mean, we we hope that God is still their father and is going to be a shepherd to bring them back. Um, But judicially, you know, or as far as uh, visible status goes, I would say uh, that they are uh, being excommunicated. And and that would be just as we come out of that kingdom, visibly into this kingdom, um, by joining the church. So the other way with excommunication... But again, yes, spiritually, we hope that God is still working in that person's life to, to bring them back to, to the way. But it's not a good place to be. And obviously, church discipline can be abused. It can be used wrongly. Uh, that's one reason why we have different levels of church courts as well to hold rogue courts and uh, accountable. So that's actually going to feed really well into next chapter on synods and councils because we have the, the local church session, which is the one that exercises that um, church discipline, but also that could be appealed to the presbytery, which is the regional uh, court of elders from multiple churches. And then beyond that, we have like a denominational or, or national. In our case, it's a little more than national because we have Canadians too, but... Uh, assembly of of elders who could hold uh, hear appeals of uh, cases that have come from lower courts uh, recognizing that there can be um, abuses of the process but it's still an ordinance appointed by God for our good so our goal should be to to use it rightly and wisely and of course ideally to not have to go that far and to be always just building one another up in the truth and exhorting one another as long as it's called the day and and devoting ourselves to the apostles teaching and you know to be living a healthy life so that we don't have to do go to, to the extremes of church discipline very often but uh, it is there for uh, the good of the flock uh, and to fulfill all of these different ends you know that we've talked about all right well let's go ahead and close in prayer like i said next time we'll look at synods and councils in other words church church councils and uh, more about church government and then the last two chapters will be on eschatology uh, on end end things end times last things which is appropriate because it's the last of the confession Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. And we know that we live in a world in which there is sin. And there is uh, sin in our hearts that needs to be subdued and mortified. We pray that you would help us to exercise self-discipline upon our hearts to grow in grace and knowledge. That we might beat these things down under our feet and that we would also be supported by one another, that we would build one another up into good things, into practice of good things. We might grow in, in virtue and its practice, uh, but that also if one goes astray, that you would bless your ordinance of church government uh, and, uh, and bring back the person. We pray also that you would bless the government of our church, our elders, for Elder Stahl and myself to give us wisdom in proactively shepherding your congregation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.